Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy Notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals, just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast for therapists where we discuss all things therapist-related. And it's been a while since we've really focused on like pre-licensed issues in the supervision process. And we are joined today by Dr. Amy Parks, owner, founder of the online clinical supervision directory, and just kind of all around a very cool person. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I love being an all around cool person. Thanks so much. <laughs> we are super excited to have you here. And you've been a friend of the program and Therapy Reimagined. So, so excited to talk about one of your areas of expertise. But I will get to our question that we asked everyone when they, when they get here is, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? Yes, absolutely. So I'm Dr. Amy Parks. I'm a group practice owner in Alexandria, Virginia. So way far away from you on the East Coast. Um, I'm also an accredited clinical supervisor here in Virginia and Maryland and DC. I also teach at a university here on the East Coast. And I'm also the owner of the clinical supervision directory. So I'm putting that out in the world. That's my big thing right now. And it is a connection superhighway for supervision seekers and supervisors. That is touching every state in the country right now, which is really, really exciting. I didn't think I'd become the supervision lady, but apparently <laughs> I am. Uh, so that was not my intention, but it has become my calling. So, That's awesome. Love that. Yeah. And, and this really started with kind of some of the idea or noticing that there was a gap in support for recent graduates in getting supervision. And can you tell us a little bit more about what you had noticed in this gap and why it was so important to address it? It's a gap that is is a complicated one. And, and really, it's systemic and it's statewide and it's different in each state. So you know, when you graduate from graduate school, you each state is required to credential supervisors, but there's no mandate that they provide a list of those people that they credential. And so when you graduate from graduate school, most graduate schools say bye-bye and let you on your own. And you mm -hmm. are required to go find supervision. And um, so you ask a friend of a friend of a friend 
or maybe you get hired somewhere that might have supervision as part of your employment. But in general, it's pretty much on your own to get your supervision towards licensure. And sometimes your states might have a list, sometimes they don't. But the ways that you find supervision in our country are really kind of the same ways you find a good restaurant or you date, you know, you go on an app or you you go on a list. And, um, you know, those aren't the ways that are the appropriate ways to find professional guidance towards your career. Uh, And especially from state to state, if you go to college in Virginia and then you move back to Michigan or you're going across state lines, it's very, very complicated. And the rules are different from state to state. This is a problem in every career field in mental health. And so um, the gap exists and and we're working to close it. So is it a lack of supervisors or is it solely this lack of ability to find them? There is somewhat of a lack of supervisors. And it's not so much that we don't want to supervise because there are a lot of fantastic supervisors out there. But there are a lot of people that once they get a few supervisees, they realize they're pretty maxed out because, you know, as supervisors, it is like taking on another client. And Mm -hmm. so you do get kind of heavy on your load and it's, there's only so many that you can take. So we, we do need more supervisors in the field. There's no doubt about that, but the connection is really more necessary. So it's, it is a little bit of a chicken and an egg situation, the connection is just as important as continuing to train well-qualified, excellent supervisors and bringing them up and into the field. In dealing with this chicken and egg problem, why aren't people becoming supervisors? What are some of the barriers and obstacles that they're facing to get there? We know <laughs> that's a really funny question too, because if you look at our 50 plus one DC, not a state, but 51 states in the US, if you look at how to become a supervisor. If you look at each state's guidelines, it's a landmine of complications. It is so hard to figure out in many on many websites for state boards how to become a supervisor. And in some states, it's so easy, it's a joke. Like you can just walk up to the board's office and say, hi, I look really cute. Can I become a supervisor? And they're like, sure, <laughs> no problem, go for it. And then others, you have to pay, take 20 hours of coursework every single year. And so it's inherently complicated from state to state to state as well. In answering your question, it's almost as complicated to become licensed as a clinical counselor as it is to become a supervisor. So some people are just like, why am I bothering? I've got enough on my plate as a counselor. Why do I want to become a supervisor? So there are a lot of people in academia, for example, that are teaching that are not supervisors because it's just too much trouble. And there's a lot of liability as well. When you bring on a supervisee, you are taking on their responsibilities. You are taking on the liability for their cases. You have a lot inherent in in that responsibility. So there's a lot of that too, uh, of responsibility. So there's just a a lot of things to think about when you become a supervisor. And it takes an enormous amount of training and consideration to become a supervisor. So once we actually get to the supervision process, what does good supervision look like? Because I think a lot of our listeners know, probably all three of us have been in supervisions where sometimes supervisors are just warm bodies in a room that are signing off on hours. From your perspective and through all of this process, what are you seeing actually makes good effective supervision? I'm really glad you're asking that question because I really strongly believe in advanced 
training and supervision, there are a lot of people that are supervising who are really, really skilled. And there are plenty of people that are supervising that probably aren't ready to be supervisors yet, but that maybe went for that credential for a variety of other reasons that maybe weren't quite the reasons that made sense uh, in terms of uh, being able to support the next generation of supervisee. The accredited clinical supervisor credential through MBCC, I think is a very valuable one. Um, It requires 40 hours of additional supervision training. And I think it is a very valuable credential. There are additional training opportunities, but what makes a good supervisor and what a good supervisor looks like is one that has experience in the field, in a variety of domains, and a variety of areas. And if they don't have experience in a variety of areas, they have a network to be able to find experience, to be able to send their supervisor to places that give them support. So they are able to provide the support their supervisee is looking for when they know they have a weakness. I think that that's really important. They are skilled enough to be able to know that they are not a counselor for their supervisee, but they know the boundaries when they need to give a referral to their supervisee because their supervisee may need some counseling. They know the boundaries in which they are required to be a teacher to their supervisee, and they know the boundaries in which they're required to be a consultant. So a good supervisor takes on those three roles every time they're in the room with their supervisee, and they know when to toggle between those three roles as appropriate. Those are very, very important things. And also they have a very strong sense of their own cultural humility when they're working with their supervisee, because It's just as important when you're working and doing clinical work with your counseling clients to be aware of your biases when you are working with your supervisees as you are with your clients, because you may be encountering your own counter-transference or transference with your supervisee as you would with your clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think all of those things are really important and even more important because you're not only doing the work, but you're mentoring the work. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. I think there's a new additional skill set that I think supervisors have had to 
navigate, which is virtual supervision mm. and and also training to virtual therapy. And and I know at least in California, we've had some battles on can online supervision still continue and all yes, of that stuff. Yes. And and so I guess the question that I have here is 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 virtual supervision as effective as in person? And and what are the considerations around supervising someone that you may never have met in person? You know, we've been monitoring your battles. I don't know where (laughs) you guys stand on that, but we've been monitoring those battles. I I frankly think it's sort of ridiculous that anyone considers virtual supervision any different from in-person supervision. But I understand that people have different perspectives on virtual versus in-person. I certainly love in-person. In Virginia and many states throughout the country, you can do all of your supervision virtually. However, by phone or telephonic is very different from virtual meaning with video. So I would, and most states don't allow telephonic. So I think video supervision, I think personally, and and the research supports, there is some research around this, supports that video supervision is equally as effective in terms of long-term subjective outcome measures, subjective, not objective. There's not a whole lot of objective measure, but subjective outcome results from both the supervisee and supervisor, like asking questions. How did you feel about the experience? Did you feel it was productive, et cetera? I think it's perfectly fine and great. Having never met the person, I would say something that's incredibly important, regardless of whether you're in person or virtual. and, And a lot of people bristle at this, but you must include video supervision in your supervision, meaning you must require that your supervisee provide and do some video, get video feedback from some of their sessions, meaning they take some video of some of their sessions with clients and you do some video feedback supervision in your supervision. So even if you've never met them, you have an opportunity to see them working. And so I don't think you need to meet a person in person You can still meet them by video, still get a sense of their energy, still see them working in person. You can talk to the people that they're working with. You can interface with their colleagues. You can really still get a perfectly great sense of them in the field and have never met them. In my opinion, and again, the subjective research is showing that it's just as effective. I would love to hear your insights and what you guys are hearing in California, because that's what I'm seeing in the research being in the field and what I'm hearing from my own colleagues, I think it's just as effective. But it's an interesting controversy right now in both the clinical domain and in the supervision domain. Back around 2016, 2017, California was revamping for MFTs, LCSWs, and LPCCs, the supervision requirements. And this discussion had come up in a number of subcommittees about you know, how much requiring of of people in person and whether we should just flat out allow video supervision. And I stood up in front of the committee and said, you know, is this an opportunity where we need to carve out being able to have uh, online video supervision readily available? It's 2017. This is 21st century. Things happen. We might be preparing for a worldwide pandemic. And I got kind of <laughs> laughed out of the room at the moment. Like, oh, no, that's never going to happen. So, You're kidding. <laughs> he probably is kidding. No, <laughs> this actually did happen. Um, did you actually say worldwide pandemic? I did. 
Oh my oh gosh. Gosh. <laughs> Are you asking, what is it? Nostra, Nostradamus, Nostradamus or whoever that guy? <laughs> so fast forward, we're five years later, we've been operating for a couple of years on emergency sort of being waivers to to be able and we do have bills that are being fast tracked through the California legislature to make this permanent but there had been a survey of stakeholders here over the last year leading up to this legislation where there was still a ton of concern around are these people with master's degrees trustworthy to actually be able to do therapy And a number of, in my opinion, really ridiculous suggestions were made of like, people would have to come into in-person supervision at least once a month. And there was a lot of discussions around those are arbitrary sort of things that get in the way of actually being able to deliver mental health services where they need to be done. Fortunately, I think that things have finally settled to being in a space where, all right, We've done a couple of years of online supervision. There's been some hiccups. We're dealing with them. You know, there are some disciplinary cases where rules exist in places. Those things are getting dealt with with rules that already exist. So it does seem to be that we're moving forward in a good direction here. You know, arbitrary reasons or barriers to entry are one of the main reasons why we're not getting more clinical counselors on the ground to serve the public. Because when somebody graduates from graduate school, this is graduation season that we're that we're recording this. It's May right now. And hundreds of thousands of in the 660K CREP accredited universities across the US, hundreds of thousands of clinicians are graduating. And hundreds of thousands of them will not get connected to supervisors until they figure out where to find their lists. And it's going to be months and months unless they find this directory, which hopefully they will. And we're working really hard to help them find it and hope they will find supervisors because the lists are buried in these ridiculous websites. And then the lists are just, they list Katie Vernoy and her email address. And then we pray to God that Katie Vernoy is still alive and still uses that email address. In Virginia, it just lists the name and the email address, not even her zip code or where she lives in the state. And thank God, maybe she's still living, but she might be dead because they don't keep up the lists. It's just so outrageous. Then it's inherent on the graduate to call all reply to, you know, email all those people. I don't even know what county they're in, much less the zip code. It's just so ridiculous. And it's arbitrary barriers to entry that are keeping, I was just listening to the radio and they were talking about the number, there were three suicides on the George Washington naval ship in May, in April. And they were just talking about there were so few mental health clinicians in the Navy. In the Navy, we're talking about the Navy, not just the U.S. The barriers to entry for mental health clinicians, we're just piling them up. So it's inherent for us as disruptors in this industry, professional troublemakers, to break <laughs> those barriers down. And I am sad that I have to mortgage my house to do it and that our associations aren't doing it. But I don't see any other, this is, you have to go to the meetings and have to stay. This is what, what we have to do. The thing that, that I, I'm still trying to kind of get my head around is I got supervision when I was employed. You know, I, I worked in a lot of different organizations. I was able to get supervision. And I, I'm also looking from 
you know, I do some recruiting strategy and help some folks with recruiting in the past. And there's a lot of folks that can't find therapists to hire and, and provide supervision. And I, I think there's different things about kind of what people are paying and that's a whole other conversation. But to me, it seems like there are plenty of opportunities to get supervision through your employment. And so to me, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts because I think, you know, there's folks who like, I do supervision, come over here and pay me whatever, and I will give you supervision. And then in California, like they have to be an employee and they get paid for it. But I think that there's, there's a different mindset that, that you're describing here with like having to go out and find a supervisor versus going out and finding a job. And I, I'm just trying to understand that because, because I just had a very different path. Right. Well, it's not the same in every state. So it's, yeah, it's definitely not the same in every state and it's not, it's definitely not the same in every field. So in in the counseling field, it's very different. And there are also a lot of times where you're the person that you are working, the place where you are working, they may provide perfectly adequate and very, maybe excellent supervision And then the place where you're employed may provide what you find to be abhorrent supervision. Sure. So for example, when we were at the ACES convention for ACA, the the Association of Counseling Educators and Supervisors in Atlanta, we had a supervisee approach us who was employed at an agency and they were supervised at the agency and they had to continue in that supervision with that supervisor at their agency because that was their job. Mm-hmm. But that supervisor consistently week after week after week misgendered them consistently mm. week after week after week. That was their employment and they could not quit that employment because that was how they fed themselves. Sure. So they sought other supervision because it was so uncomfortable for them and so difficult for them to continue. They couldn't quit their job because that was their means of survival. However, they were not feeling like they were getting appropriate or adequate supervision because they were so uncomfortable in their supervision at work. So that's just one example. And it's, you know, obviously unique, but there are a lot of times where your workplace employment, your employment supervision, maybe you're the supervision that you're getting at work. There isn't a supervisor that speaks the language, your, your primary language. And so the supervisor the supervision that you're getting maybe is not adequate. Or there are some places where you are employed where they're, they're supposed to be providing you supervision, but there isn't a supervisor there. So for example, I provide supervision at a psychiatric hospital here in Virginia. If I were to leave there, there is no one there on the site to provide supervision. So it could be six months, a year, two years before they hired someone else because it was three years before they hired me. So they were Mm -hmm. three years without a supervisor and they just sort of winged it. I won't name them since I'm sort of throwing them under the bus right now, but you know, (laughs) they, it took them quite a while to get me. And if I left, they wouldn't have anyway. So then they just have an empty slot. So they're all their people that are supposed to be getting supervision as part of their employment are just not getting the benefit. So I hear what you're saying. And there are plenty of opportunities in time or, or, or times where people are missing the boat and need to find supervision, even when they should be getting it. Maybe that didn't answer your question exactly. I, I think it, it answers part of it. I think there's two elements to this. One is the workforce issue. And 
putting a Band-Aid on it because I think employment should have supervision yes, and it should be included as a benefit. But I guess, so that's that's one piece and that's my perspective on it is that if yes. you are a pre or provisionally licensed cl- clinician, you need to have supervision included as part of your employment and you should be paid as an employee. Now, I'm very California with that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that there are folks that come in as 1099 and do all that stuff as pre or provisionally licensed and and I think there's, there's problems with that and that's a whole other conversation. Yes, yes. But I think there's this element of as a pre-licensed or provisionally licensed clinician, having to go pay for supervision to get adequate supervision. I, I mean, I guess there's the, like, what quality are you getting? You know, what's, you know, kind of, are you getting what you pay for, so to speak? But is there an element of that that changes the quality of the, the nature or quality of the supervision? So that part, I don't think we've talked about yet, but I, I, I just, for me, this is, this is something where I just never had to do this. I don't think anyone should have to do it. And I, I worry if we put a bandaid on it, that it doesn't get fixed at a larger scale. Granted, Kurt and I've talked about, we need to like help people navigate what's real and then advocate for the other part. So, you know, we need to have supervisors available however we get there. I, I just, I, I get worried that when, if we have, if our band-aids are too good, society doesn't have to fix stuff. I, I absolutely hear you. And I am really thrilled that we're having this conversation because I do think that is the next step of the, conver- that's the next part of the conversation. I do know, I do hear your California perspective because I do think it's important. (laughs) Well, I think it's important to point it out. And I I don't think that it's bad. It's very good because it's very progressive. And the way you're doing things is the way it should be done because everyone should have supervision as part of their employment. It should be excellent. It should be professional and it should be a benefit, period, end of discussion. But I can guarantee you 100% that that is not the majority of the country. And that's not the way it's done in every career field either. Well, and excellent isn't necessarily the supervision that people are getting in California. I think it's it's, okay. it's a whole spectrum of of supervision right. here too. But well, it's that's just, easier. It's excellent is easier to fix. Ex- excellence, frankly, way easier to fix than systemically well. everyone. Well, I mean, <laughs> okay. Well, maybe not. But training we've, we've is got, training. We've, okay, training is training. But okay, a lot of right. a lot of the systems okay. don't allow time for right. training. So supervisors have the same issues as everyone right. else. But, but I mean, anyway. but even like LMFTs and and counselors and social workers don't all talk to each other. So like that's a whole Whole sure. other thing, but but you know, my goal right now is the connecting because the getting and yes, I hear what you're saying. Like, if we could get people connected, then we can work on the next step of things, which is getting more people trained without them having to pay for it. Because I agree with you, I don't I don't want people to have to pay for it. I think sure. people should be getting it as part of their employment, and I and I encourage that strongly. And are people getting better supervision if they pay for it? I don't think so. I think. <laughs> That shouldn't be the way. It sh- I don't think that should be the way it should be. I don't think that's the argument, but very interesting part of the discussion. And I do think it's something to continue to keep open to as we move forward. Very, very thoughtful. I really appreciate that perspective. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. Taking this out of the pre-licensed realm a little bit here and opening up the conversation a little bit more broadly, does our field do a good job of seeking supervision 
when they need it as as licensees. You know, we we have this discussion a lot, both here on the podcast and in person. I, you're nodding here for our audience out there in podcast world, where you can't watch us on on anything, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, the, the, there's this good feeling of like, yeah, we should get consultation supervision. Where do you stand on when people should be doing this? I love this question so much because one of the sort of iterations of the clinical supervision directory has been to sort of invite people in who are licensed to sort of serve as sort of mentor experts. And it hasn't really evolved yet, but it's sort of a thought that we have so many people in the field that are also experts in certain areas, EMDR and grief and, you know, um, maternal um, issues, uh, motherhood and things like that, or children and just a variety of just topics that come up in therapy every day and, and that we, we would wish that we could find across the country, not just as clinicians, but the media could re- reach and things like that. To your question, I mean, some of us do, I think the ones that I think kind of approach our work with a beginner's mind as much as we can, but ego gets in the way for many people, I think, and time and resources and networking. And I think a lot of, a lot of us, including certainly both of you um, are doing an amazing job of encouraging that kind of conversation about being curious and, and getting support. but. Probably the answer to your question in the short is no. We probably don't do enough consultation with one another once we are licensed. Um, Should we do more of it? Yes. I think that we have to continue to consult and continue to be in as much, you know, ongoing training as we can. Um, You know, we are required to have a certain number of amount of training ongoing. I mean, California (laughs) has the, probably the most, Um, but, you know, ongoing training sure is required. And and that's something our states do pretty well in terms of mandating, but I don't even think training is really as important, frankly, as consultation, because you just hear the same Charlie Brown's teacher over and over and over and get the same (laughs) handouts. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's like the same old, same old, but talking to somebody and, and working through an individual case and case consulting is so different, so different from hearing a training and even hearing a podcast. So the opportunity to do more group supervision with clinicians that are already licensed, I think is a need. I'd love to see us figure out how to do more of time, bandwidth, all of that might prohibit, but I think that's really interesting because I I like the the direction of this because I think when folks go out into private practice, I think that it's something that one of the first questions I see that pops up in like the Facebook groups is, hey, does anybody have a consult group? Because <laughs> they've they're, usually they've been either with a supervisor or, or an agency where they had all of this, this consultation and collegial interaction. And, and I think it is important to be able to do that. I guess the, the, the question I'm leading up to now is this, this element of how do you find the right person? Because I also see some of these folks get into consultation groups and it's not necessarily anyone with expertise on a specific topic. It's it's like, let's come together and talk about kind of broadly clinical issues or how we survive this career and stuff like that. And, and I think there are times, I know for myself, whether it's seeking out specific trainings or folks with specific expertise, 
I have to rely on my network to identify the the OCD specialist or the grief specialist or whatever it is. And so when someone's looking for a specialist, it sounds like there's a directory that maybe you've put together that has some of that there. But I I think even in the matching, like knowing that this is the right person that I actually want to spend the money and time to talk about this case and get their expertise, like what are some of the considerations there? Well, I think that there's room for that. I mean, I think that that's sort of a direction that the clinical supervision directory could provide, you know, could, I think there's room for us to serve that purpose. We haven't realized that room yet or really taken up that space yet. But I do think that that, you know, I think that there's room for that to be, to exist. Because again, when you're looking for consultation from this kind of expert, you can go to you know, you can search by that term. You can search by grief. You can search by EMDR. You can search by maternal health. You can search by these terms that we have in our lexicon of therapy subjects and, you know, find anyone in the U.S. with expertise in this area. Or you can find anyone in Illinois with expertise in this area. Sure, sure. So once you found kind of that sub list, yes. what, how do you consider like which one? How do you like, what are the well, considerations you can, of matching with the supervisor? Right. Then you look at their bios or you look at their locations or you look at their, um, what languages they speak, or you look at whatever, there's a full bio there. There's a photo, there's their office details. There's a full array of details about this clinician. It's like Tinder only <laughs> not dating because we're not allowed to do that. I mean, it's a full, it's a full bio. It's not just a name and an email address. This is a full, rich, detailed set of information about the supervisor, their photo, their map to their location, a full detailed bio written by the clinician that's editable by them at any time. Um, you know, all of their specialties, all of their degrees, all of their certificates, all of that information is right there. So you decide what's important to you. Is it important Mm. to you what their pronouns are? Is it important to you what languages they speak? Is it important to you that they're LGBTQ friendly? Is it important to you that they have a specific, you know, certification in that they're a CSAC or or, or have specialty in substance use counseling? You know, what is, what's important to you? I don't know what's Mm. important to you. I don't, I don't need to be the judge of that. I'm just Tinder. I'm just the, I'm just the person that's (laughs) connecting you. I am the connection super. I'm sorry. I'm clapping again. I'm the connection super highway. And that's, you know, that's my job. And you take it from there. You figure out how best to connect and what's important to you. Where can people find out about your supervision directory and more about you and your practice? So the clinical supervision directory is trying to be everywhere. So we are at clinicalsupervisiondirectory.com. Lots of people spell clinical wrong, but be very careful with your spelling. Clinicalsupervisiondirectory.com. We're also on Instagram at clinicalsupervisiondirectory and Facebook, same thing. LinkedIn, all the good social medias. So we try to be in all those places. So you can find us in all those places. We're also going to be trying to hit all the great conferences all over creation. So we'll be in as many places as we can be. And then my practice is called the wise family in Virginia and we see children and teens. So I, I try to keep myself pretty busy in, in, in those so. different, in those different <laughs> domains. Yeah. And if you want me to supervise you, I'm going to say no, because I'm just too busy doing that <laughs> other things. <laughs> 
Okay. One thing I want to add, we're going to give a special coupon code to your listeners. It's going to be in your show notes. So we'll have that for anyone who wants to join the clinical supervision directory as a supervisor and supervision seekers are always free to search the directory. So, but your listeners will get a special coupon code. So I forgot to mention that before, but I want to add it real quick. So I'll give it to you so you can add it in your show notes. And we will include links to all of those places that we can in our show notes. You can find those over at mtsgpodcast.com. And make sure that you follow us on our social media. Come and join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Dr. Amy Parks. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 